Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. I'm glad you're with us today and uh, hope that we get to your question today if you've asked us one in the last uh, few weeks or so. If you're a first time viewer, let me explain what we do here. Uh, you'll see a phone number and a website at the bottom of your screen. You can use those to get in touch with us. You're the director of this program. Uh, you call and tell us what you've always wondered about the Bible or point out some verse that you'd like explained or ask a question about life or current events that you wonder what the Bible has to say about it. And we'll put that in the list of things we've got to talk about and try to find an answer for you. So you direct the program and let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. That's what we do here, and uh, we try to get as many in each week as we can. So let's get started. Let me introduce my partner here, Toby Levering. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and uh, studied up, and we'll see if we can cover a few of them for the folks today. Of course, we always uh, give our viewers a question to work on while we're talking. And today's question is, how many times did the army circle Jericho, the army of the Israelites? Uh, when the walls of Jericho fell, uh, they marched around it a few times. So today's question is, how many times did they circle that city? And we'll give you the answer at the end of the program, see if you've uh, found that Bible answer. All right, looks like I got number one today, so let's talk about pets for a little while. Uh, viewer's question is, does the Bible say anything about pets? Now, that's kind of a general question, uh, so I don't know if our viewer wants to know. A lot of folks ask, are pets going to be in heaven? And our answer is, the Bible doesn't say. Uh, but this one is a little more general. Does it say anything about pets? And the answer is really no. Uh, the Bible's silent on that topic. Uh, when I saw this question, I thought, yeah, I've read something lately that we're not supposed to use the term pets anymore. I think we're supposed to call them non-human companions or or something like that, so somebody's got too much time on their hands is worried about that. Uh, so maybe I shouldn't say pets, but uh, that's what our viewer said, so I'll use the term. Uh, might be politically incorrect, but we're going to talk about pets. Uh, no, the Bible doesn't say anything about them, except we do have a general rule uh, that we can apply to the concept of pets. The general rule is where man stands in relation to animals. And this is what God said. Let's look in Genesis 1 verse 28. Uh, God's command to Adam and Eve was, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. There's the order established. Man is over animals. Man has dominion over animals. We can subdue the earth. And if that includes taking some animals and domesticating them and keeping them as pets or as companions, if you wish, uh, that's okay. We have the authority to do that. 
Now, doesn't mean we should be cruel and uh, all of that. And really, the Bible says nothing about that except livestock. That uh, a good man takes care of his livestock, not cruel to them. Uh, but other than that, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. There's the verse: we have dominion, we rule over. Uh, if we want to keep a pet fish or a pet dog or a pet anything that's domesticatable, I guess we can do that. So that's uh, that's the answer. One verse man's over pets uh, that might be a little advice to us that we don't get it switched around where we let the animals rule over us but uh, we'll just say that's what the bible says about pets all right okay a little bit of a theological question here a person asks since jesus was born of a woman how did he escape being born in sin well, uh, this question kind of starts with a false assumption, and that assumption is that we are born in sin. And this doctrine uh, permeates a lot of uh, religious thought, and it's the idea called original sin, uh, that as the result of Adam's sin, uh, all human beings, uh, all descendants of Adam, are sinful uh, from the moment they're born. Well, we don't subscribe to this uh, thinking, this doctrine. We don't believe that it's biblical. Uh, in its idea at all. Um, I, I personally don't understand uh, the idea because I believe God created all human beings and I don't believe God creates anyone, anyone any person as a sinful being. And uh, we understand that sin is a choice and so uh, at what point do they believe a, a baby inside the mother uh, chooses sin? So uh, there are some real problems with the doctrine, uh, uh, but it does it's prevalent almost everywhere. Uh, it's just not one that I believe is scriptural. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 says, "The soul that sins is the one who will die. Uh, the son shall not share the guilt of the father, nor the father the guilt of the son." And what that simply means is that you are responsible for your sins, not your children and not your parents. Uh, there's no interaction there. God judges each soul based on its individual uh, choices. So we don't hold that uh, to the idea of original sin. Uh, we believe that Adam's sin has no effect on the souls of his descendants. Now, that does not to say there's not consequences. I do believe we live in a broken world, and there have been a lot of consequences as a result. But do I bear the responsibility of Adam's sin or of Steve's sin or of my father's sin? No, not at all. I bear the responsibility. God holds me accountable for my sin. So, uh, we as such believe that babies are born innocent and that at some point a child chooses to uh, disobey God and at some point God holds them accountable uh, for those decisions and uh, at that point they need a savior, which is of course Jesus. Uh, let's read Hebrews chapter 5 verses 7 through 9 together. The writer here says, In the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We understand very clearly that Jesus was without sin. He never chose to disobey God. He always did what his father wanted. And as a result of his uh, sin sinlessness, he was holy and he became the perfect sacrifice for you and I uh, so that we can have hope for our sins. Okay. Great explanation there. Uh, and it is 
uh, a very prevalent doctrine, and there's lots of verses that talk about, uh, you know, how we have this sin nature yeah. about us yeah. and all that. And there's a difference between being in, in Tranced by the or enhanced by the flesh or uh, drawn toward fleshly things or something and having the guilt yeah. of Adam's yeah. sin. Yeah. And I think that's a, a good thing to remember is, yeah, we all tend to grow up and at yeah. some point we fleshly things entice us and yep. we, we, we do wrong. Uh, our flesh is drawn to that for some reason, but we aren't born with the guilt of right. Adam's yep. sin. Good way to explain it. Okay, let's talk about uh, third world countries here, viewers interested in. What happens to people who never hear God's Word? For example, people in third world countries that never hear the gospel. Okay, good question. Excellent. Now, the verse, or the Bible does tell us to go into all the world and teach the gospel. And that's why there's so many Christian missionaries. Uh, that's why Christians go all over the world. And Bible translators go into countries that uh, have no written language even and try to write the Bible for them in a way they can understand uh, because we're trying to obey that verse, go into all the world. So it's our responsibility uh, to try to reach everyone. Now, our viewer says, yeah, but what if? <laughs> what if we don't get to somebody and there's a tribe somewhere uh, that generations live and die and have never heard of the saving blood of Jesus? Excellent question. Uh, the basic answer is God will take care of that just fine. He, he knows their hearts. But there is a verse that kind of explains it a little in a little more detail. Paul's writing in Romans chapter 2 and he's talking about how the Jews have the law so that's how they get a relationship with God. But he goes to our viewer's questions. He says, when Gentiles who do not have the law, so they don't know anything about Jehovah God. They haven't been given uh, the law of Moses that explains God. When, they, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they don't have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now defending them. All right, let me try to put that in a little simpler terms. He says the Gentiles may not know what the law says. They don't have Jehovah's law uh, with restrictions, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, the, don't steal, all that. He said, but... God's put in people's hearts the basics of morality, and we know that's a fact. Civilizations figure out uh, they behave by the requirements of the basic moral law, even though they don't have the law. Uh, and so he says that's what they'll be judged on. They're a law unto themselves. They know the basics because God put it on the, in their heart, and if they follow that and do what their conscience tells them to do, uh, then that's good. And if they break the law that's in their heart, they do things that they know are wrong and evil, then their conscience will accuse them. Uh, I think that's the answer to folks that don't hear about Jehovah and don't uh, hear the gospel and never learn of Jesus. Uh, we're all born with an inborn sense of right and wrong. And some folks follow that and some folks don't follow that. Uh, I think that's what God will use. Whatever answer you want on this, uh, God knows people's hearts. 
uh, he, even if they never hear about him, he'll be able to judge and decide exactly right. So our responsibility, get the word to as many people as we can. Uh, the folks that don't hear about it, that we don't get to, I'll trust those to let God take care of them, and I think he'll make absolutely the right decision. Take just a moment and invite you to study the Bible a little differently than just watching us here answer a few questions. We've got some free materials. Happy to send you anytime. If you're interested in studying the Bible in your own home, uh, you can do that a number of ways. There's lots of good Bible reading plans and uh, ways to do that out there. Some folks just sit down on January 1st and say, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. Uh, a lot of people can do that. A lot of people get bogged down and don't finish. Uh, get over there and some of the law books, Leviticus and a few like that, and it gets a little tedious. Uh, we, we tend to, that's where we tend to drop out on our Bible reading schedule. So if you're going to try that method, you might start in the New Testament. It might, might go a little bit better for you. But uh, my point is a lot of people just find that hard to do, sit down and read straight through. They find things that they don't understand. And, and what's this mean? I've never heard of this before. Well, we've got some materials that help you understand your Bible, help you know your Bible. And you saw the first course on the screen there, eight lessons in it, very basic lessons get you in touch with your Bible and kind of know the big parts of it, uh, get some of the terms and topics. And then we've got some more advanced courses that help you get more into your Bible and get into detailed study. So if you want to learn more about your Bible, we can help you. Know Your Bible Study Tools are a great way. And they're absolutely free. Phone number, website on the screen. Try one of those and say, send me that free course. We'll get it to you in the mail almost immediately. So you can know more about your Bible. All right, Toby, what's your viewer yes, after here? The viewer asked the question, does the Bible, I'm sorry, does the possibility exist that any part of the resurrection will be a new earth resurrection? Well, I suppose there are many possibilities um, and certainly concerning the end of time and how all that's going to work, there's a lot of argument and debate. And we've said on this program before that uh, we have an interpretation. We believe the scriptures are pretty clear on, on the fundamentals of what's going to happen on that day. But I'm sure there are lots of details uh, concerning the resurrection of uh, saints and, and uh, people who've deceased and how exactly that's all going to work and including what happens to the earth. Now again, I, I have a, uh, uh, we're going to look at a verse that I believe tells us what's going to happen to this whole world. I don't think it was designed uh, for uh, permanence in the eternal sense. I think once uh, sin entered the world that it broke it and it made it uh, less than God intended it. And because of that, God's going to have to do away, uh, just like he did in the days of the flood. He's going to have to do something pretty radical and change it up. Now, uh, is there the possibility, as you uh, suggest? Certainly. Uh, God, it is absolutely at his discretion and authority. How he chooses to do it will be exactly the right way to do it. Uh, but based on the scriptures that we have and that we look at, it seems that the earth uh, in its present state is passing away and that at some point it's going to be completely uh, uh, ruined, uh, not ruined, uh, destroyed, and we'll have a new home, a new earth. Uh, but I think that's referring to heaven. I think that's the, the place where our dwelling is finally will be reunited with our Creator. You can study that for yourself, and it's certainly 
encourage you to sign up for the correspondence course and you can engage in that yourself. But the major point of the Bible is all life is temporary and this is not meant to be our permanent home or destination. Uh, ultimately, how all that ends up, up to God. Uh, but our our responsibility is to be ready for that day. Let's read Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be <clears throat> in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening for waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of the hev of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to his promise we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells i do look forward to that eternal abode um but uh, how it's going to work out well we'll just have to wait and see <laughs> yeah it's correct Sometimes I, th I think we're so foolish, you know, God created yeah. the heavens and the earth, and they're wonderful, they're magnificent, yep. uh, to, for us to see the beauties that He created and the wonders of this earth and all that, and it's an old broken earth, like yep. you said, yeah. and He said He's going to give us something new and better, yeah. and we fret around about what it's going to be like. Well, <laughs> <laughs> why don't we just trust Him? It's going to be really good. I think it's going to be excellent. <laughs> I, I don't know what it's going to look like or how, or whether it's really got golden streets or yep. it's got flint hills in it that yep. are beautiful in the spring. He, he can do it any way he wants. And it's going to be good. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll trust him on that one. We will. All right. Question about work here. I have a co-worker who claims to be a Christian, but he goofs off all the time at work. Uh, does the Bible say anything about a work ethic? Well, it certainly does, and let me warn you here, if you're interested in this topic, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures here in just a moment, real fast, so if you want to get a pen and paper, you might jot these down, uh, or you can call in and let us know, we'll send you a copy of these, but uh, yes, the Bible says a lot about work, and this could be a whole sermon series if we wanted about what the Bible says about working. In fact, that's a lot of what the apostles wrote about to churches when they wrote back, is uh, Christians work and gave them some rules for that and some encouragement and told people not to be lazy and not to goof off. So uh, I broke this down into three things the Bible says about work and let's just look at a lot of verses real quick here. Uh, first, the Bible says we are to work. Second uh, Thessalonians 3, 10 through 15, it says earn what you eat. First Thessalonians 4, 12 says don't be dependent on others. In 1 Timothy 5.8 says you're supposed to provide for your family. If you don't, you're worse than an infidel. So the Bible very clearly tells Christians your responsibility is to work on this earth. Uh, secondly, the Bible says we are to work wholeheartedly. Ephesians 6.5-8 says Christians do what they're told and they work even when nobody is watching. Uh, when you read these verses, it's very clear. Uh, we don't goof off at work. Even if the boss is not watching us, we keep working hard. 
Proverbs 6, 9 to 11 says to get to work early. That's a pretty good key. Uh, don't be the last one to punch in or punching in just as the clock clicks to the next number. Get there early. Work a little extra hard. And then thirdly, the Bible says work with the right attitude. Colossians 3 says always do your best. Here's a great one. First Timothy 6, 1 and 2 says to respect your boss. Uh, no matter what kind of boss it is, you respect him. First uh, Peter goes further says respect even a bad boss. Somebody that's tough and unfair, you still respect them, treat them as a boss. First Peter 2.12, you set an example for others by how you work. You should be the best employee your boss has got. And First Timothy 6.1 says you're representing Christ when you're in the workplace. So whether you're in the workplace or in the school atmosphere or wherever you operate, uh, follow these principles for work and you'll represent Christ well. So yes, the Bible says a lot about work and uh, Christians are supposed to work, work wholeheartedly and work with the right attitude. Christians ought to be the best employees there are in this world and that's one way we represent Christ. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. The Churches of Christ keep this program on the air, and it's produced by the Churches of Christ. So we like to advertise one or more each week that help us stay on the air. Today let's talk about the East Point Congregation in Wichita, Kansas, over on the east side. You can see it right off the bypass there off of 96. So if you live on the east side anywhere, uh, or out in Andover or the neighborhood, you're real close to the East Point Church of Christ. And there's a great bunch of folks there that uh, believe and know your Bible and help keep us on the air. You'd be warmly welcomed. If you're looking for a church home, maybe you know somebody that attends the East Point Church of Christ. Tell them, hey, I was watching Know Your Bible Sunday and saw you advertised there. I appreciate you keeping that program on the air for us. So something like that, give them a thank you and along with our thank yous. Of course, wherever you're watching Know Your Bible, there's probably a Church of Christ near you somewhere in the broadcast area. And uh, we'd invite you to drop in and visit them sometime or tell them thanks for keeping us on the air. All right, Toby, what's the uh, next one here? <laughs> Got a, a male-female question. Oh, Does the okay. Bible state <laughs> that women should submit to and honor men. Well, no, the Bible does not say that directly. Uh, where it talks about this idea of submission in males and females has to do with husband and wife relationship. And it is so politically incorrect, some people just don't want to touch it. Uh, but it's really the way God designed the Christian family to be. And if you read the whole part of it, and don't just pick, cherry pick the verses you like, uh, it is a beautiful picture of uh, how a husband ought to love his wife and the wife ought to respect her husband. And if you have those two things working together, uh, a Christian family will be stable, strong. It will help raise children. It will produce a God-fearing, God-loving, God-serving family. And that's what it's all about. But in terms of outside the marriage context, there's not any sort of idea that uh, men are higher than women or better than women or anything like that. Uh, it's just uh, talking about the only differences have to do with our roles, uh, the roles within the family, the roles within the church. They're just different, uh, but there's not one greater or one less and so forth. So uh, these verses that we're going to look at are found in Ephesians chapter 5. And the context, again, 
Paul's addressing Christian households, and he says this, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, he goes on to say, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And when we put these these pictures together of love and respect and mutual submission, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, uh, we see what God designed for the Christian family. But I uh, hope that clarifies that for you and uh, helps you understand a little bit better about uh, the roles in the family. Okay, very good. Mutual submission mm -hmm, there. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about that, I thought about Hollywood marriages where, and uh, the average lifespan is probably about two weeks, yep. I think. Yeah, well, oh, that's a long marriage. one. <laughs> yeah. And it's because two superstars yep. get married and they both got to be the star. You yep. know, and nobody's submitting to anybody, yep. I think. We're all in charge, right? <laughs> yep. Okay, question. Are some sins worse than others? Well, the word sin uh, technically is an archery term from the Greek, and it means missing the mark. So if you're shooting arrows and you're trying to hit the bullseye, if you miss the bullseye, yeah, that's a sin. That's a miss. And if you miss one inch or if you miss two inches or if you miss two feet, it's a miss. So the correct answer technically is no. Sin is sin. It's just missing the mark. It's not doing exactly what God wants us to do. Now, in God's sight, a sin is a sin, we always say. Now, obviously, we know that the consequences of sin, that's a different story. Uh, some sins have very small consequences. Some have huge consequences. Sometimes the same sin has very little consequences, and sometimes it has huge consequences. Uh, DUI drivers, some nights a DUI driver somehow gets home and doesn't hurt anything, or the police don't see him, or there's really no consequences, we say. But some nights uh, somebody's killed. Sometimes a whole family is killed. Uh, so we understand that sins have worse consequences than others. Uh, but in God's sight, technically a sin is a sin, but uh, yes, yeah, certainly some sins are worse than others in their consequences, their effects. Uh, divorce ripples for generations and just causes all sorts of problems. So in some ways it's worse than some other sins. So yeah, uh, sin, a sin is a sin, but the consequences are sometimes much, much worse. Uh, Toby, we don't have much time left for talking about the Sabbath. We'll, okay. save, we'll save that one for okay. next week, I guess. Right. Uh, let's talk just a moment about the Bible Correspondence course that uh, we talk about each week. Uh, I'm sure you've had the same thing happen to you, Toby. People run into you on the street or something and recognize <laughs> you and talk to you and then say, you know, I'm going to sign up for that course someday. Mm -hmm. Well, they always put it off. <laughs> uh, today is a good day to do that. Uh, use the phone number, use the website, 
uh, get started if you want to study the Bible. Taking that first step is sometimes hard, uh, but when you get that first lesson and learn all about the Old Testament or a lot about the Old Testament, uh, I think you'll in enjoy the study and keep going. So if you haven't done that, do that today. Let's get the trivia question answered. How many times did the army circle Jericho? Well, the answer actually is 13. Kind of a weird number, but for six days they marched around it once a day. The seventh day they marched around it seven times. Add those up and you got 13 marches around the city. Glad we've been with us today. We'll be back next week answering some more of your questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.